0: Welcome to The Optimal Path, a podcast about product decision-making brought to you by Maze. I'm your host, Ash Oliver, UX designer and design advocate. Great products are the result of great decisions, decisions that deliver value for customers and the organization. In this podcast, you'll hear from designers, product managers, and researchers about the ideas informing decision-making across all aspects of product development. Today, I'm joined by Joshua Morales. Josh defines himself as an active yet reflexive person. He spends most of his time satisfying his curiosity by traveling, writing, and above all, reading. That's why he felt naturally drawn to the field of research, a field where learning by discovery is a crucial part. His experience spans well-known product companies such as HP, N26, Hotjar, and now Miro. Josh, I'm so stoked to connect with you. Thanks very much for being
1: here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ash. This is a pleasure.
0: Our topic is around research playbooks, and we're going to walk through one that you've created and used across teams that you've been a part of. So I thought that we could start from a basic setup around what playbooks are and maybe the inflection point for creating them. So maybe if you can give kind of an overview of what you think they are and when you've seen them best initiated.
1: So playbooks, it's a word that it has been used very recently, actually, as far as I know, in the research field. Before that, all I knew and called was documentation for doing research up to certain standards. I agree with this new kind of categorization of calling this playbook because it's actually something that you have to play with on your day to day. I remember having a teacher that uh, back then uh, told me that if you uh, show up to an exam with your notes that are like brand new as the day you were taking the notes, this means that you probably will fail the exam. And that's because you have not been using it or playing with it enough. Right. So I really like this idea of playbook because you get to, you know, like put your hands on it. And, you know, take your own interpretation, maybe like underline the parts that are more useful for you and also like change the ones that don't really work. And as someone who creates a playbook, um, that's something that you need to consider when you're doing it. You're actually thinking about a playbook with your best intention and all the knowledge you have at that point of what you think is going to be useful. But most likely it's going to evolve. And this evolution is going to happen as it's any product by gathering the feedback of what's missing or what can be like optimized better. Ultimately, the objective of any playbook is to reach as many people as possible with good practices of research in a way that it's easy to understand, standardize, and ultimately also in a way that it doesn't feel like reading a manual, you know, it's also like this aspect of being playful.
0: I love that interpretation, like almost visualize the like tattered and worn and adopted kind of premise of a playbook that it's not just, you know, a manual to put on the shelf, but something that you actually have as kind of a companion. So let's get into your playbook. It's probably a great place to to open with your overarching metaphor, the research clef, as I believe uh, you refer to it. And since this playbook specifically addresses how we move from research, or what you refer to as like jam sessions, to a continuous orchestral level research practice, I thought maybe you could walk through this part of the metaphor and what these kind of stages represent.
1: Yeah. So this metaphor was born out of trying to make sense of what I was trying to do, because it's daunting task to create a whole playbook from scratch. So you need a clear objective, and an objective should actually be to make research as continuous as possible. When we talk about democratization of research, which is another way of looking at how playbooks can be useful, what we're saying is, it's not just the researcher who can run research. And nowadays, we're lucky enough to have highly skilled individuals specialized on running their own research in many, many organizations. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are the only ones who need to run that research. Everyone needs to run research. That's how I think about it. And that should be the objective. And in a word, that's making research continuous or become continuous. So to get there, I was thinking, where are we at now? and normally what happens is like it's like a jam session, you know, like this kind of metaphor came to my mind. It's like we assemble informally, sporadically in a way that doesn't necessarily have to be following any rule or process and then uh, we cross fingers some moments will be better than others Uh, we might have stellar moments that that we will remember forever and will be very difficult to replicate (laughs) and others that will be a complete mess. And then I was thinking, right, like from there where you want to go is to more of a knowing actually where the next concert is happening having better equipment baby knowing when the drums start you need to follow that kind of processes or like sequences and that's the moment in which i think you as a researcher can invest in processes and tools which is the core of any playbook and that's what i call the band level or the band stage and then make in many organizations, uh, I think it stops there. It's like, okay, we have documented our process we have chosen our tools and we, the research team, have our band, you know, playing this research. But why not taking a step farther and saying, okay, like, there, let's acknowledge that there are more roles that can benefit from this. And we can have specialized research that maybe is more complex to execute, that it's like run by the research team But we can have other sorts of research and we can have tools that, again, are used by the research team, but also can be beneficial from other. It's this idea of having different kind of instruments playing at the same time or not, coming from these different parts and with a director. So this metaphor of orchestral level research also implies that there is more organization uh, in the team where there is a clear leader to follow in a way and then like special kind of parts that are playing their own music. And hopefully it's harmonic enough to, to make it like a, a full-blown uh, concert. Now, the last thing I want to say about this metaphor is I have no idea about music really. Like I don't even know how it came up with, uh, with this but um, it really, you know, like stick to me uh, when I started thinking about it. And I, th- I think that um, it really conveys the message.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's it's very clear, but also symbolizes this like maturity curve and the step functions involved. So you can like really reflect to see, you know, are we more in this decentralized, more impromptu type of independent or sporadic informal research? Or are we more towards the combination of that strategic and tactical research as you've described at, at more of the orchestra level? So since the the challenge is not so much around convincing companies that they should do the research, although I'm sure there are still teams that need to you know, kind of advocate and evangelize for this. There's you know, more challenge today for teams around conducting research more often. So your playbook really serves this angle. I thought maybe we could dive into each one of the steps of how we can actually achieve this continuous orchestra-like research.
1: Yeah, in the beginning, it's overwhelming. As you pointed out, I don't want to think that we are in a stage of maturity overall in our discipline in which we need to spend time evangelizing the value of research. I think that's an effort that we've been doing for a long time. But definitely, if your organization or culture is not user-centered, you probably will need to spend time on that before. If that's not the case, the first thing to understand is when people talk about research, assuming that they run their own research, what do they Mean What tools are they using? What is it working? What is not? Um, What kind of users are they reaching out to? Something very basic to think about is that the people that you will be building the playbook for are your users. And that's how you treat the playbook. It's a product and you're trying to, you know, build it for them. So it's a very good idea, I think, to start by listening to them. So the way I did it is basically I created a journey map with the five main steps of every research, which is planning, recruiting, then what I call interacting, which is a a word that, in my opinion, embraces all sorts of interactions with users from interviews to surveys to any other method. And then from there, uh, it moves to the analysis and documenting and sharing. So I was trying to take a snapshot of how each of these steps looks like for people who run their own research. And then from there, identifying like, okay, what needs to be done and trying to be very granular in saying these are the tasks that needs to be completed. So you have to look for opportunities that open more doors for you to continue building on top of them and also opportunities that are small enough to, you know, have an impact but not a daunting task in which you might spend a long time and the value of what you're doing is not very clear from the very beginning. Once you've done some of those, I guess it's a good moment to start tackling like a bigger initiatives.
0: So the kind of first plan is really just to listen and observe, kind of taking more of a inventory analysis across maybe the organization, people involved, stakeholders, and in this kind of like listening and, and observation, maybe of understanding some of the practices that are in place today, the things or opportunities that need to improve. What else are you looking for? Are there like maybe particular things that you're trying to uncover?
1: So you might have your own hypothesis, you might have heard, who do I need to talk to for certain parts of the process or for certain types of research, and you start forming yourself an idea. But I think what is important is also like to go with an open mind and not try to fit your concept of what you think research is into what they are doing. A good example would be like if someone is telling you that they run focus groups very often with users, but... In your opinion, focus groups are not a very effective way of collecting evidence from from users. It's okay; like you don't have to discard them because you know, like what you believe uh, is research uh, is not what they're doing. That's another signal of how they perceive it and how they are executing it. And maybe even for something that uh, you don't believe uh, is as valuable as, for example, other type of methods, they might be using tools or processes that you can leverage because actually to recruit for focus groups, maybe you will be using the same kind of tool or process that you will use for recruiting individuals for interviews, right? So that's the important uh, aspect of it. And also get to know the people. And if you see, if you start seeing that some of them, are keen to to help or very excited about the idea of having a researcher in the team and running their own research themselves and they are like strong opinionated and whatnot make sure to recruit them in a way to be your what i call the your research heroes right so those people that you know you you can bounce ideas with that maybe they will always or sometimes help you in specific parts or guide you or at least connecting you with with the right people and you can rely on them especially if you're a team of one in the beginning can feel, you know, like you don't really know if what you're proposing is uh, the, the right thing. You, sometimes you have like existential crisis, like, <laughs> am I going bananas? Does it make sense? And th- those people uh, really help on these uh, very early stages.
0: I love that this is really the first part of the process for for creating, you know, a playbook. And I think there's two things to underscore in what you've mentioned. And one is, it sounds like kind of making the playbook Be more of a bespoke to the organization, so uncovering like what's already working well or what things you know can you kind of already leverage. I think that'll also help potentially in that adoption because it's taking into consideration what's already embedded across the team. But then it's the other element that you've you've kind of touched on here, which is those relationship cultivating. So through these stakeholder interviews, it seems that you're also ensuring that there's open channels to implement the playbook and kind of have that relationship from the person who might be receiving the playbook to the person who's creating the playbook. So then it, it moves into prioritization, if I'm not mistaken, right? So maybe this is a good point to, to ask, like, how does Miro do this specifically?
1: I think that in Miro as in any other organization, like when you start collecting what needs to be included in in a research playbook, the list is huge and it's probably never ending. And that's a good thing. That means that it's evolving. I think something that really helped me and everyone in understanding what I'm doing is creating like some sort of board uh, or document where you're capturing what needs to be done at each of the stages. So if we remember these five steps, plan, recruit, interact, analyze and document and share, document and share for me is one together. (laughs) What really helps for me is like being able to add different cards or actions that needs to be taken for each of those. And then like start sizing them in a way and saying, okay, there are things that might be like just a few lines in a document, while others are a whole quarter initiative. So there is clearly a need of prioritizing. And the best way to prioritize those is by saying... Let's use some sort of framework. It doesn't have to be like anything very complex, but something that uh, allows you to understand what's the um, effort and the value that this can bring to the playbook in the short term. Let's also see what people have said about what are like their needs and not necessarily as taking their requests. Whatever I hear from people, it's a signal for me that something is there. So if they tell me we need a research repository, I hear something like, we are not very good at organizing findings and coming back to them. That's actually the sort of task that I would add to this document. And then from there, like you can share it with your manager, you can share it with your colleagues and say, hey, I'm thinking about tackling this or that. What do you think? And then you share your ideas. And from there, you take it easy. Because after all, the most likely is that you are not being hired for a research ops position uh, because probably within the whole research range of roles, that's the New So most likely what will happen is that you will need to create this playbook on top of your other responsibilities. And then you have to be realistic and say, maybe I can block 20% of my time a week and start working on this. And then like, don't shy away from including those initiatives as part of what you're working on because people shy away and might think that well i should include this as part of what i'm working on because it's not real research or it's not actual research literally speaking it's true but it's very unfair to think that that's not research because it's research in potential like you're creating a piece of content that will enable a lot of people to run their own research in in the future so it's like a seed you're planting in there. Um, and I, I think it's important to make visible the work that you're tackling in a specific moment with this document. We should be proud that we're doing this and not the other way around. Yeah, I love the the
0: aspect of sharing that because it is drawing visibility to the research enablement that is being set up. And yeah, I mean, that's going to pay dividends when you think about the investment, because for Every time that document or playbook is initiated, there's you know, X amount of upside for all of the research that enables that team to, to capture. So moving on then to the next stage, obviously, when I think Miro, I think collaboration and research is obviously, and I believe that you believe this as well, very much a team effort. How do you facilitate this collaboration aspect in the pursuit of creating the
1: playbook? You mentioned that research is a team effort and that's probably the most famous sentence a researcher ever said, right? (laughs) So we we better live by it and try to put it in practice ourselves. So like how to get started, you might have realized that it was always talking about an individual, yourself trying to assess the situation, yourself trying to come up with ideas and whatnot, and also tackling those initiatives that are like easier in a way or more simple and bringing people along as soon as possible. When you're at that stage and you've maybe like completed a few tasks, people start seeing the value of what you're working on and whatnot, you will like to tackle more complex initiatives. For example, implementing a, a research repository, whether you're adopting a tool or you're building it from scratch. So in that moment, I think it's a good point to think who can help me with this, who can help me with the technical part of the implementation, who can help me with the taxonomy part. So this idea of creating research heroes, I like to to call them, like a group of people who are not just users of the playbook, but who likes to contribute in a way, presenting your playbook as something that you have started But that doesn't belong to you only. It's something that everyone needs to take care of, in a way. And those heroes are the ones that more actively will participate on that. Um, A good analogy, uh, when I think about it, is how Wikipedia works. You can go to Wikipedia and consume the information, but you can also contribute to, or correct, or review, or there are many functions that you can do at Wikipedia. So... Those will be like the heroes of Wikipedia in this uh, analogy of research. So you want to be involving those people um, for those initiatives, having uh, meetings with them, syncs, trying out stuff together, bouncing ideas again, like making them part of the project.
0: So it sounds like really in this collaboration phase, you're identifying those heroes and encouraging their like ownership and contributions towards that. So I assume that there's a lot of looking at the differences across, you know, potential teams and maybe where some natural strengths or deficiencies lie. Um, Do you have any uh, particular examples of maybe how you've facilitated this before, like at Miro or any of your previous, previous
1: organizations? Yeah. What I did, for example, uh, coming back to, to probably the most complex project, which is like adopting a research repository. He's saying in our research channel, saying, hey, we are about to do this. Who is down? And then, like, you already have some names in your head that you know they're going to raise their hand. But you're also going to get some surprises of people you never expected maybe to be that involved in research. Or uh, you might wonder, like, how is this person going to help? Not because, of course, they can't, but because you don't really know. Uh, how the person is interested and that's a good segue of what you can do next which is ask people how do they want to contribute you want to understand like how do you want to participate how do you want to collaborate in this and i don't think you have to be prescriptive in this if someone wants to take a whole task it's fine if someone wants to you know just review what you're working on that's also fine and make it like collaborative means also Constantly involving other people, and that's a fun part of it. Working together and in the difficult moments, you can rely on them. In the good moments, you can celebrate together. And especially if you're a resource team of one, that's very, very important. Also, for uh, as I was saying in in the very beginning, to feel that what you're bringing to the table has value for for some other people as well. Amazing. I, I love how in each one of these steps
0: there's like a deliberate intention of like in reinforcing those relationships. Obviously, a big benefit here is distributing the weight of the work, as you've said, but also just like bringing in people across the adoption process I feel like they're much more likely to not just contribute but be motivated for its success and use um, and therefore like evangelizing so this this hero concept through the collaboration stuff really resonates as far as the next step for for communication what are some of the best practices in the communication element because now at this part of the the playbook you've you know, kind of tackled some of the the work at this point. So now it comes to unveiling or revealing, so to speak, or maybe the packaging element of, of all of this work. So talk to me a little bit about this communication step and what things you should take into to consideration.
1: The way I think about communicating is the same as if I ask you, if you've written a book and no one has ever read it, have you Actually written a book, you might answer yes, because the objective of the book was to write it to yourself. That's all right. But in our case, if you create a report, it, it might be like the best report ever with insightful findings, game-changing ideas. But if no one ever bothers to read it, it's like as if nothing has happened. So it's a pity that after all the effort, no one gets to to benefit from it. And That's why I like to think on a difference in communication, which is like active versus passive communication. And with uh, active communication, you have to do something to consume that information. A book, for example. If you put a book in front of you, nothing will happen. You won't get that information. Passive communication is more like this idea of a TV or a screen. You just need to look at it and it's already happening. And... Most of the times when we document resource findings or our own playbook, we by default take the active route. So we put all the effort of consuming that information to the user or to the person who's going to consume the playbook. And even if we start like taking this very formal approach to writing, it can get even boring. So what I think it's important is to think of what other strategies are for not just creating awareness that Something that you have created, a new process or a new tool implementation exists. But it's also like thinking, okay, how can I make this a continuous thing? Can I create tutorials? Can I create uh, trainings? Can I create videos that people can interact with at specific moments? So that's where actually the difference between documentation and a playbook happens. It's where all these elements start to pop up for different kinds of minds that learn differently or have different needs at different times. Because sometimes you want to go through a process and you're like, Ah, there is a checklist here. I will take these ten steps, but some other times you're like, "I just need someone to explain me this to me and I don't really need to know the steps, but I need to have like more of a an overall understanding of what's going on in here. so maybe in that case, a video of you going through the steps is way more uh useful for that person or just a paragraph of text and also more people if you're successful will want to run their own research, which means that if you only do uh you know one team one time events, those people will miss out, will never know that that exists. So you need to constantly uh, bear in mind that every change that you've done or improvement that you've done should be communicated.
0: I love that. So it sounds like there's a close relationship between the communication part and then the training part. You describe the communication really being that like continuous drip. What are the channels? What are the methods? How is this being surfaced? I think coming back to the point that you made at the beginning, which is like treating the playbook like a product. It kind of conjures the change log or like the, the diary that would, you know, kind of be updated with like a process chain. But then the difference between how you communicate something like that versus how you communicate the actual like training elements. You know, how do we ensure that the material is going to be retained, that it's engaging, that you obviously exchange that knowledge, but then also encourage that desire or motiv- motivation for more. The next Part of the of the process is really that specialization part.
1: Yeah, I think in case you wonder, like, how do I know I'm doing good? This is a good moment to assess if the work you've been doing is good. You will see an increase of research studies. And an increase of research studies not only means more people running research, it also means more answers to questions. And more answers to questions means... For each answer, you'll have many more questions because you are turning unknowns and unknowns into knowns and knowns, and you are uncovering more unknowns and knowns. And you will start, you know, like, having better questions that are more complex. At the same time, the playbook at this stage might be a good version one. You might have all the pieces in there. Uh, of course, as I was saying, you will always have some tasks to do to keep it evolving, but... Um, If those two things, like a lot of people is running their own research, and you have uh, to dedicate a little bit less time to ops because the main bulk of the process and tools are in place happens, this is where I think you're in the sweet spot to start thinking, okay, now we have actual time to, you know, say, why don't we keep running this more tactical research by people who do research and the more strategic research to fully dedicated researchers. So yeah, like that's what I call it specialized. And it's a way of exploiting the system at the end, which in my opinion is let's try it ourselves as researchers and see how how good this is for more complex research. Then like you will be in a very good position because of course your company is going to be running uh, a lot of research, but at some point you will have a big bank of more Deep questions that uh, are begging <laughs> to be answered. It might be a good moment to start exploiting the system or specializing more. If you see yourself starting collecting research opportunities in a in a document and the list goes going on, and on and on and on and you cannot tick off any of those questions, this is a good moment probably to start thinking about growing the team.
0: Yeah, I love that the that the playbook in this like pursuit to you know maturing the organization more towards that orchestra level uh, metaphor, as you've, you've described, it sounds like the benchmark there is around the like volume of research that's being able to be done, and especially beyond just the confines of the specialized researchers in the team, but then also the velocity of that. So it sounds like that's a good point of reflection. So my last question for you then before we get to our uh, hat trick questions or we ask some more personal questions for you is just if you've had any big observations in terms of going through this process and creating a playbook and then of course implementing and evolving it across the various teams that you've been part of, has there been any notable cultural shifts beyond a positive shift in the volume and velocity of research being done as I've described?
1: Something that caught my attention is that It might seem that we researchers are very aligned on this idea of democratizing research, but it's not necessarily the case. I've had discussions with researchers that don't really believe that, you know, enabling others in running their own research will help the organization because the quality of the research that they will conduct will not always be as good as a researcher can do, which... It's fair. We have more experience. We are more like specialized on running research. So it makes all the sense. But let's think about what a research is. Who can think of a designer that don't talk to users to design the solution that they have in mind? Who can think of a PM or a head of product that creates a strategy without a diagnosis of what's going on? And this what's going on isn't that research? Who can think of marketing without understanding how the market looks like, which is talking to users? So, my point here is like even though research might seem a very peripheral role it's actually central to many of the tasks that needs to be done in any organization because at the end of the day any organization that don't understand their users and engage with them to do so it's going to die like it's as simple as that and there are many examples out there of companies that have gone through that and there is also good examples of companies who have adapted and the only way is by understanding users so In my opinion, by enabling others to run their own research in whatever shape or form it might take, even assuming that maybe, and just maybe, to be fair, it's not as high quality or as rigorous as a researcher might uh, run it themselves, it's better than nothing to have these people talking to users and keeping the focus on what's important, rather than relying only on what a group of, of researchers can do for them. Because then the organization structure will sway into a research as agency model in which you have a bunch of people who run the research and you have requests and then you deliver and not necessarily connected with what's going on. So the same that we researchers don't only run research and do ops, but also are involved in conversations about what decisions to take, what solutions we might have in mind. We can also suggest where we think the product should go, understand business and deal with data as well. It's the same for for the rest of roles that are in product at least. They also need to talk to users. And it's, in my opinion, our responsibility to make that happen easier.
0: Amazing. This has been you know, so helpful just to kind of get your arms around the uh, the actual endeavor of creating a playbook. We'll transition here to our three hat trick questions. And the first one I have for you is what's one thing you've done in your career that's helped you succeed that you think few other people do?
1: Giving my opinion when I think I have a point, even though I'm not feeling comfortable in that field. So if I have an idea that might belong to marketing i would you know like go ahead and express my opinion if i have an idea that um, can affect the decisions in product i will go ahead and share that idea again like this ties very well with this uh, concept of we have different job titles but we're all building the same product very often these limiting roles are very blurry so if you have an idea don't shy away just say share it maybe you're wrong. And the worst thing that can happen is that they will correct you and you will be learning that you were wrong. But if you're right, you will be helping the team. And bringing a different perspective to the table is most often what unblocks crucial decisions.
0: Huge. Huge advice. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. My next one, and this is, this is a favorite, obviously, between two readaholics. I mean, you have an entire Instagram account dedicated to your, your books in progress, which I hugely appreciate. What is the industry-related book that you've given or recommended the most, and why would you say
1: so? I'm going to go for one that, if I'm not wrong, Erica Hall recommends in Justin of Research. One of the books she recommends is Behave. By Robo Sapolsky, it's probably the most complete and amazing and interesting book I've ever read about life. When I say life, I mean in, in its natural form about biology. Like it goes from a very micro level in trying to explain how neurons interact to a, a more macro level on how societies have uh, you know like helped on on that formation and everything in the middle. And it's a fantastic book uh, for anyone who is dealing with humans, which hopefully is most of us. It's great to have this more natural foundation in our understanding of who we are. I'm also a big fan of reading about natural sciences. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good one. It's pretty thick though. So don't think about taking that for holidays. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's,
0: it's gonna be a different kind of read. I love it. Okay, my last question for you is, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love?
1: Yeah, I have many quirks, but the first one that came to my mind as we're talking about book is that when I finish a book, I kiss it. I kiss its cover. And it's my way of, I guess, you know, like I feel so much in depth most of the times with how much I've learned by just spending 10 bucks or 15 bucks or whatever that costs, that it's my way of saying thank you to that book, to something that, you know, might have changed your whole perception of how you understood something. So that's, you know, like very insufficient, uh, very, you know, like cheesy, (laughs) but, uh, that's, that's definitely something I do.
0: I can't get over the, the kiss of each book. That's just like so strongly resonant with me. I absolutely adore that. So this has been so fun. Thank you so much, Josh, for, for being on the episode and going through everything with the playbook This has been great.
1: Yeah, this was super fun and happy research to everyone.
0: The Optimal Path is hosted by Ash Oliver and brought to you by Maze, a product research platform designed for product teams. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find resources linked in the show notes. If you want to hear more, you can subscribe to The Optimal Path by visiting maze.co forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time.